Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. It's that little chico pit boom, Mr. 305, but it said Mr. Worldwide. You already know what it is. Listen to my new podcast from negative to positive. Subscribe today. Now, part of the things that we're doing over here at negative to positive is encouraging people to change their lives, change the things that are within their power. I want to thank our good friends at KFC for helping me bring this to you. Feed your whole crew with KFC. Let's go. I can get the KFC bucket of chicken and you know, that's fire. Now, Bobo, you know that you could get that mac and cheese, that mashed potato, gravy, those biscuits. Now, that's that's trouble right there. That is fire right there. You know, on negative to positive, we're always talking about striving and achievement. And, and the Colonel Sanders story is, is a story that inspired me since I was 10 years old. Look how life comes full circle. Now I'm talking about Colonel Sanders and Kentucky Fried Chicken and how much I love it. <laughs> Listen to my new podcast from negative to positive. Check out the vodcast. Subscribe today. Apple Podcast. Podcast One. Spotify. We begin today's meditation with a few sipping exercises to remind us a little treat can go a long way. So pick up your McCafe iced coffees, close your eyes, and deep sip in. And deep satisfaction out. <sighs> Take a treat retreat at McDonald's. Right now, get a McCafe iced coffee in any size and any flavor for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price of participation may vary. Welcome to Giant Size Heroes number 15, my very favorite number. And this is for August 15th, my very favorite number again. I am very excited. I was, fun fact, born on September 15th, weighing 5 pounds, 15 ounces at 5.15 p.m. So I love the number 15. And here we are That's with episode 15. Super adorable. I was just about to ask. 15's followed me since birth, and uh, I've made it my thing. In fact, when I work out or um, do anything that numbers are in my control, uh-huh. I do it off of variables of 15. Neat. So if I can... I do three muscle groups, five exercises each, so it's 15 exercises. And when I run, I break it into chunks of 15 or try to get to 15 miles. Like, 15's my thing. That's so cool. So here we are in episode 15. And uh, my birthday is a month from this airing because I am a 15th baby. And I'll remind you plenty because I love attention. Um, It is episode 15 in case you didn't get that already. And uh, it is Giant Size. We're going to dive into the stuff that we could not fit in our Collider Heroes episode, which dropped on Tuesday, which we hope you enjoyed. We talked Joker. We talked all things Spider-Verse and what that could be. And we had uh, Mark and Draco join us. It was super Uh, fun. How was your week, Amy? It was really good. Uh, Yeah. I man, we we should imaginarily uh, do a whole separate podcast for like I'm caught up. I've read House of X number two. I have a lot of questions. I there's charts. There's there's the a, charts are the, the like weirdly they should be the thing throwing me off the most, but they're the most comforting element to me because I'm like I know Hickman. There will be charts. Cool. All right. It's it's one plus one is two, and the rest is chaos. Yeah. Like the charts are like at least this makes sense, but the rest. So that's not the point of today's podcast. Uh, but, but we it can is talk about mind. it. We yeah. can talk. Let's uh, let's say the opening because there is there's conversation later in the episode about this. Uh, uh, I love everything Powers of Ten and House of X. Uh, a very helpful person on Twitter pointed out to us that we should be saying Powers of Ten instead of Powers of X. And here's the thing. I've had this conversation at the store several times. It's comics. They can't make us say it right. That's right. And it's not House of Ten. So 
Here I go. I get the powers of X being a pun, which I appreciate. On the other hand, yes, I love math jokes, and failing to pronounce it that way might keep people from noticing that. So uh, this is me pretending to sass that very helpful comment from that very nice person. <laughs> you will get both, House of X and Powers of Ten and Powers of X. You'll see. At the shop, we call them hawks and pox. Oh, hawks uh, and pox. Because we have to write them down a lot. That's and very they sound funny. like diseases, but you know. It, it's a disease that I look forward to every week. <laughs> it's real good. Uh, I love, spoiler alert, the Maura McTaggart choice. Oh, see, that's big spoilers. Are we but doing all it? I said was choice. Okay. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> yeah. That's a diet spoiler. Like, all you know is she's in the book, she's in the cover. Yep. But it's cool. And, Let's yep. go into spoilers when we get into the uh, that news Let's segment it about later. it. So for now. Anyway, in non-spoiler news, uh, Kevin Feige came out and said he wanted Robert Downey Jr.'s death to have the same impact as Hugh Jackman's and Logan. And I love that not only did he give Logan credit, but he said, hey, we looked at this incredible film and we wanted to have the same impact. Uh, the quote is, is floating all around the internet. But to me, the gist of that is not just giving Fox some love, but also like – I like that Feige's not one of the people that's causing this tribe thing. He's like, look at what DC's doing well. Look at what Fox is doing well. Factionalism. We, yeah. I really appreciate the fact that he's like, you know what's great? Comic movies doing well. <laughs> Let's keep making them good. And Logan's death is powerful. Like, it's, it's so much. Um, so I love this quote. What do you, what do you think? Oh, it was great. This is from, for those who haven't seen it, an Empire Online uh, Q&A uh, where they wrote up a bunch of the interesting things from their conversation. And I thought they, they were all great. Yes, nice th- it's like, 13 things they learned from the conversation. It's, it is an empire and it's solid. Uh, that one that one caught me. Uh, and then so did the massive Infinity Saga collection may have deleted scenes. So not only did he say deleted scenes were likely coming, but then in another interview he went on to talk about how he was like – the worst of Marvel, like the things they were embarrassed by, I can't begin to imagine what that is. I am so excited for whatever that ends up meaning because we do all love behind-the-scenes stuff. Uh, And he, in that interview... Uh, referred to like, and now I gotta hunt it down because he. So he refers to how much he enjoyed watching things that you know were rightfully cut from other films, and he gave a call out to Star Wars, for instance, where there's a lot of like development stuff that didn't see the light of day, and that's probably for the best. But we love to know about it. Um, and he said something about, for instance, Tashi Station. And Coy, what is he talking about? What Tashi Station? Is there I, a scene in Tashi Station? That's what I've been trying to figure out. Like, I love me some Star Wars, but I'm not like a schmoer. Like, I'm, I'm not that. I mean, deep. that's where Luke is gonna go to get his power converted, but the whole point is he doesn't get there. That's the he thing. Gonna That's do what that, I thought. It was that. a goal that didn't get made. So, Koi and I are excited about Star Wars now, <laughs> but uh, I guess that must be out there as a... a the, but I've never heard of it. How does Kevin Feige well, just drop this Star Wars like... I had to derail this by asking this question, so we're going to look it up right now, because maybe Koi and I are the only two people who haven't heard about this. Yeah, the fandom of Star Wars is very intense, so we should at least Google it, because but, we will find out that it's been in every DVD. Yeah, probably. Um, and uh, the scene was released in de- deleted scenes the special feature of the Blu-ray release. It was? It does? It exists? Okay, I'm going to read this quote. You look that over uh, so for the people. Uh, Kevin Feige said, quote, if we do a big, giant Infinity Saga box set, we might include, I'm assuming if you're going to spend the money to buy a box with everything in it, you're a fan, and more than a couple of really, really bad scenes to turn you... I like sharing those scenes. And when we have something like that that we love, which was not an easy decision to cut out, but was the best decision for the movie, it's a great avenue to say, we'll put it out there. It's not like no one will ever see it. There are big things that I think nobody should ever see, and I think we've got recently been discussing that now we can start to show some of our less proud moments. It's interesting because this quote goes two ways. One, it says, I can't wait for them to see it. And then there's also the stuff like, we should have kept it and not kept it and bad scenes and good scenes. There's a wide There's variety a of material discussed here. Some of which is like this was perfectly good but didn't work for the film, and other stuff is like that did not work. Yeah, and it is interesting because 
I get as a filmmaker, you want to be protective of the artists you work with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, this is like famous example from John's documentary of the uh, like the out of context photographs of the camera text tests for Nicolas Cage's yeah. Superman outfit. And when you see it in motion, it's beautiful. And then there's the you know whether or not it would have ended up working. It did not necessarily. It does not necessarily serve the artists and the intent of the work to see an out of context thing like that. Right. But when 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 a lot of time has passed. It's just really fun to get those glimpses. And I think it can be argued that, like, if there's an alternate take where something doesn't work or seems silly or looks silly, if that is out there too soon in the world before, you know, as we've often discussed, the MCU puts across characters that are very tricky to put off. Mm -hmm. A disaster version of Guardians of the Galaxy is a big disaster. Right. Like, if that film hadn't worked, it would seem just ridiculous instead of wonderful and ridiculous. If Captain America had not put across the miracle of making people love that character who used to have sort of a reputation as potentially cheesy, like, if there's stuff that doesn't work there and you released it before his, like, icon status had been cemented by this successful stuff, I could see that you, you keep all that stuff close to the vest. But once you're in success, once you've put all that across, if there's like cute home movie looking footage of like year one of the MCU where they're just trying bonkers things or like auditions for the bad guys in Iron Man 2 that would be really fun to watch because all the choices we ended up with were real bonkers I can't imagine (laughs) what landed on the cutting room floor Uh, and we've heard Ant-Man originally had 10 rings stuff in it so there's going to be deleted things about the 10 rings which are getting planted and set up for Shang-Chi so I am curious about the things that are Later on plants, like the things that the, there's got to be storylines they didn't go with, but also the things that did end up happening later. So there's a whole it's it, the MCU is so dense. There's so much <laughs> they can do. I'm very excited. I, I heard even recently the Red Hulk was considered in uh, Endgame. They were considering having Hulk, when he re-hulked out, be the Red Hulk, just for funsies. Huh. I'm glad they didn't, because I think that gives us the chance for General Ross later. Right. So I'm wondering if there's deleted scenes that are like that, where it's like, no, we're saving this, and have it, actually have it matter. So uh, I like the idea that Kevin Feige, uh, his bad scenes, are. <laughs> I, I can't wait. I'm very excited for his, his hot takes. Now, they haven't confirmed that such a giant box set exists, but essentially, <laughs> uh, you, you know, you know people would buy it. And he says, like, you know, when that thing, come on, it's happening. We're getting a giant box set. Although it is interesting because one wonders if you're – we'll be talking more about like the, the impossibility. I can't imagine what it's like to make these decisions behind the scenes. But I can imagine that someone somewhere is doing math on uh, if all of those films are eventually going to be on the streaming service, mm-hmm. does it cut into your streaming service's appeal if they're easily available in alternate forms? Or is it just like, well, obviously you need to keep milking both markets as long as possible because they're different markets or some other third thing? I feel like uh, physical media is so much smaller now than it ever has been that it doesn't really dent streaming. I I can't imagine. There's not many people that would be willing to spend $200 on 23 movies that won't spend six a month on this streaming service. Because especially with this particular streaming service because of all the Disney Plus shows that won't be on Blu-ray until – you know. The interconnectivity is too real. Completely good point. Uh, but I, the 4K of a bunch of those movies dropped this week, uh, Tuesday of this week, of like Iron Man and Thor and all those sweet, sweet 4Ks. And I'm a physical media guy, so I am very torn because I'm a Blu-ray man, but I got a 4K TV. And uh, <laughs> I might be able to hold out into the collection, but then I, have own, then I own 23 movies twice. And I'm only so strong. So uh, we'll see how, how I do once that giant box set comes out. And if it has deleted scenes, there's no stopping me. It's just like me not reading The Eternals. I'm trying, but it's going to happen. Uh, it's going to break down. Speaking of beautiful, beautiful physical media, a box art 
needs to be discussed because it is real ugly. Uh, the Spider-Man Far From Home box art is as unbelievable as Mysterio's illusions. That's I, the headline you put on this, and I was really curious, like, what exactly you were going for there. Do you was, see that art? Uh, honestly? Look at Jake Gyllenhaal. He looks handsome. He looks unrecognizable. That's clearly, like, so here's the thing. I don't Google like this, the way internet. that this is... Uh, it's the 4K Ultra HD Blu-ray digital box art for Spider-Man Far From Home. Here's what I don't like. Bunch of heads on a cover. Here's mm-hmm. what I freaking love. This looks like illustrations. It looks like I someone... I more of this, not less. To me, this looks like someone took a photo and ran it through one filter on a MacBook and made it try to look like illustrations. Okay, Remember the old photo booths? Zendaya when you... looks kind of weird. Well, the old photo booths when you sat in them and you're like, you press the different uh, filters in the 90s where it's like, make me look like, Mo- like a blah, blah, blah drawing. Not Mozart. That's a musician. Uh, <laughs> Monet. Make me look like a Monet painting. This to me looks like a filter over... Uh, just, it doesn't... I don't know. I feel like this artist definitely spent time on Tom Holland's face and it looks fabulous. I, I would... See, this is the good thing about Amy and I doing shows because some things she sees I don't. And There's this some is... portions of this backdrop that are just like random blue, random <laughs> red, which is not great, but like they're trying to do a thing with the like fiery bottom corner of it. Uh, <laughs> and honestly, I I can't give like look. I love the MCU so much, but I'm real tired of bunch of heads on a poster. Yeah, uh, just, especially in comic books. Yeah, make people stand in a real space together, or if not, do something interesting like have an illustrator take an, a, a run at it. One of You're the best, kind of right on balance, but like one of I the best know. posters I've ever seen is Amazing Spider-Man 2's uh, 121 cover, that yellow cover that mirrored Amazing Spider-Man 121. Was it 121 or 122? That. 121's the big issue, but I... Uh, was 121 the one with Green Goblin? No, 122 is Green Goblin on the cover, so it's 121. Yeah, it, it mirrors 121, and it's and it's the cast as the cover of Amazing Spider-Man 121. And Hold on, I'm looking it up. It's so pretty. Um, so while she's looking that up, uh, it, it that's what you can do with movie art. Like, you can mirror a comic. Is it there? Yeah, look at that! That's so cool! I they tried. See, this one looks like somebody... Just had some photos to work with and like Paint Shop Pro. But they tried. They did. I like the effort. I guess, I mean, I love the idea here. <laughs> so we've also learned in this moment that Amy and I have the exact opposite takes on posters. But look, <laughs> don't come for Ramita if you can't Ramita. I mean, that's fair, and many artists do. They try. Look at this they try small to logo at the top. Whereas this one is perfectly balanced. Look at the, like, multiplicity and alter the, the way that they've changed up the sizes and shapes of the surrounding cast so that Spider-Man is having, like, a relationship with them with the way his legs are pointing. I don't know. It's just, it's, a, it's an art form. I like the effort that this one took, that the effort I did not feel like the new Spider-Man took. But... That is the beautiful thing about art. It's subjective. So moving on from box art. <laughs> Look uh, at all of that and tweet us to tell us who's right. Yeah. Please let us know which this cover. Is obviously objective. I am kidding. Do not. Uh, which suddenly are harassed true about. Or aren't true. <laughs> They're both beautiful because they both have Spider-Man in them. I mean, that's fair. And that's what matters. <laughs> Now, we also have a beautiful first look at the scrolls from the Fox universe. I actually love the look of these scrolls. Um, we got a... Explain to the people why we're saying scrolls from the Fox universe. We... If you saw Dark Phoenix, they had very scroll like aliens in it. And then, uh, as far as we know, during the giant reshoot... Uh, 
situation, they needed to change the name from Skrulls to I Forget because they were very memorable. Dabari, which it turns out we should have remembered, is actually an important piece of the lore, just not in the form that we saw in the movie at all. Well, it, it, it's it's a character. They are important, but not nearly as Skrull important, so it still felt <laughs> like a demotion. To do with the yeah. it, it felt like a demotion because you're like, we're getting Skrulls. Yeah, except that's the weird thing. They're actually relevant to the Phoenix story and Skrulls aren't, which makes this whole thing strange. Continue. So we got a first look at the, or a first official look at what the Skrulls would have looked like in their original form in the Dark Phoenix, and they're pretty cool. They've got this, uh, like, tenderly vein swamp situation flavor. Uh, <laughs> they're they're pretty rad. I, I really like the design. I, I would have been cool to see uh, separate scrolls within one year because we would have had Captain Marvel and Dark Phoenix scrolls. Um, but I like how different they look, and I like I think they're cool. There's and they an look shapeshifter. Sort of like feline head shape to them that I'm I'm not sure like what that is meant to give us as viewers or to signify. Uh, I I mean, I would have been interested to see what that uh, version of the film was going to be. I, it's hard to make a conclusion about, like, I'm not exactly mad that they changed it from the scrolls because it was hard to imagine how that fit into the story. <laughs> but, you know, I'm glad that we get to see a look at these alternate visions because people obviously worked very hard on these things. I like how they look like they can morph. I like how there's a fluidity to their tendrils that is even in stills clear. Uh, also on the same, it's it on like com- metal cables, which is sort of an odd choice. To me, it looks like uh, like Swamp Thing vines and, and limbs. And... But see, Swamp Thing has vines because he's made out of the swamp is the thing. So scrolls have a tenderly cables because they're made out of tenderly cables. Sure. <laughs> Uh, also, in this comicbookmovie.com article, we get some uh, concept art uh, of the Phoenix ending that would have been. Um, and it's really cosmic and cool and big and uh, certainly not on a train. Certainly not on a train. <laughs> so uh, moving on to Wolverine, the Russo brothers have said publicly at least twice now, maybe more times, they'd like to do a Wolverine movie. This is almost news. Uh, I am personally not one to every time someone has an interview and they flippantly mention, like, I'd like to do Wolverine, make it into a story. But this was everywhere this week. I don't think this means the Russos are coming back to do a Wolverine movie. But I'm going to take the moment to go, hey, Kevin Feige gave Wolverine really cool hair in the movies that wouldn't have had the flavor that we got because of Kevin Feige. And maybe he can get the Russos to come back and do a Wolverine movie. And I can keep dreaming until this doesn't happen, but it's not going to happen. So I'm feeling very contrarian today. Uh, and I'm springing this all on Koi. But Koi wrote in the rundown, <laughs> give us a Russo Brothers Wolverine movie. Uh, I so did. I'm unfortunately prepared to come in and be like, do not give us a Russo Brothers Wolverine movie. <gasps> in 15 years, you wouldn't want. I want to introduce all the X-Men for at least three movies, and then once we've earned it, well, Russo Brothers come back. you say that part. Because the Russo Brothers aren't going to come back right now. They're going to let at least two phases go by. They're not going to be in phase four or five. By the time those are over in... That's like three years. That's at least I'm exaggerating, five. but... Okay, I'm saying phase seven, Wolverine Russo Brothers. <laughs> what I'm worried about is by the time that I'd be ready for another Wolverine solo film, I would want so much other stuff to happen that I suspect the Russo Brothers will be into a different phase of their filmmaking lives, which I think they have every right to do as artists. Dick Donner came back. That's fair. That's fair. It's just that, like, by that time, you'll want them reinterpreting, like, some other 
aspect of their work, like, you know, whatever, the seventh Sam Wilson movie, uh, <laughs> which, you know, we're never getting, but I'd love, um, and they should give us. I don't know. It's just, it's it's too obvious. It's too, like, oh, that sounds like something someone will write a check for right now, which means it might end up frontlined in front of other things, and I want more interesting things for the Russos, and I want more interesting things for the X-Men franchise than to have this be first out the gate. Uh, and obviously, nobody is saying it's happening, much less <laughs> that it's first out the gate, but that was my response, is like, I can wait. I can wait for that because I love Wolverine and Russo Brothers uh, and the Russo Brothers and the MCU and most of all the X-Men franchise. Uh, I like please don't fast track that is Uh, all I'm saying. So I was the opposite because for the exact same reasons. I feel like because the Russos are saying they want it, then maybe no one else will get to it because they're going to do it later because they're not coming back to the MCU for a while. So I I, as an eternal optimist went, hey, maybe we finally get an X-Men movie or two and then we'll get Wolverine and the X-Men as it always had. Like I want to earn Wolverine later (laughs) and since the Russos are stepping away, then maybe they get to bring it back. But that, that's my eternal optimist hoping we don't get Wolverine. As Let the... us into those rooms so we can shout at you about, in a gentle way, about what we would like to see happen in what order. I've got a full trilogy mapped out in my head, and Wolverine doesn't come in until the third act of the third one. <laughs> so if you'd like to listen, you've got my phone number, Marvel. No, you don't, but you can get it. Just tweet me. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Corey, do not give your phone number to random people who treat you and claim their models. I just realized. I was like, oh, no. Slippery slope. There's just hundreds of like Marvel fan 8712. Hello, this is Mr. Marvel. Yes. And I would like your phone number <laughs> for the Marvel. X-Men consultation. Uh, I wish to speak with you on the phone regarding... The X-Men. Hello, yes, I'm Benedict Marvel, and I have an interesting proposition regarding X-Men. Joke is on us when you actually ignore the person who's like, I'm trying to reach out for Marvel PR. I can't get in touch with Koi. He, he offered keeps... it everything. Yeah. Did I mean. I ever tell you how I met Ryan Sands? No. So Ryan was a, a fan of my Marvel movie news show. The, oh. the, it was a show I did on Popcorn Talk, which was, uh, I am very proud of the show, but it had a smaller viewership than, than say, this show. Sure. So. Only – it was an average of like two to 3,000 viewers and this person Which tweeted – still a lot of people, let's be honest. It, it, absolutely. It's an entire town. But you don't assume one of those people of that size show is a person on a Marvel show. You do not. So I get a tweet from an un, as of then unverified person saying like, hey, man, I heard you talking about me on your show. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. And I was like, lies. Oh, and yeah. I just I ignored it. I ignored it. <laughs> So I ignored it for like two weeks. And I just was like, I have this guy pretending to be Jeffrey Wilder on Runaways trying to get done with me. So then two weeks later, I mentioned that my favorite character on the Runaways was the actor Ryan Sands. And I love the depth he gave Jeffrey Wilder. So once again, this guy tweets me, now he's got a blue check mark. So I'm like, hey, man, I'm so sorry. Thanks for watching the show. Do you want to come on? And then he came on like very recently, like very soon after. So I completely ignored Ryan. I'm dying. Like I hardcore ignored my DMs and I was like, nah, bro, you're not Ryan Sands. I watched The Wire. Like the guy from The Wire isn't watching my Marvel show on Popcorn Talk. I'm trying so hard not to laugh through the microphone. Oh, my God. So uh, I met Ryan that way. And what was cool is – Ryan found our show because we were being objective about Inhumans and we were giving reasons we didn't like it instead of just saying it sucked. And then he also liked the positivity about 90% of stuff. So we became his source of news. So a guy on a Marvel show was watching our Marvel commentary show to get his news and I just didn't believe him. Like just, just, and then he ended up accidentally going on the wrong Marvel show at Popcorn Talk. He went on Marvel TV because he didn't know there were multiple shows. It became, it was literally a running joke between Ryan and I for like a month. First I ignored him, then he was on a different Marvel show, finally came on my show, and now I'm friends with the whole Runaways cast because of Ryan because he brought me to set and stuff. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. 
those check marks change the game. <laughs> uh, so I, if Ryan, if you're listening to this, I'm still sorry. <laughs> All's well that ends well. <laughs> so that's how I met Ryan. Uh, now in the world, so Mr. Benedict Marvel, just let me know you're real. Um, in the world of DC, Mr. I Guillermo. I for a segue. Okay, hold on. I got this. Uh, so speaking of things being improbable and surprising, Guillermo del Toro still wants to do Justice League Dark. Well, that's not improbable. It existing is going to be improbable. How is that movie well, going to ever happen? No, I don't think it does. All this quote says is he still loves those characters. But I don't think he, we'll ever see it. He's a comic book fan. He doesn't stop loving characters. But that's he, not how that works. I think he stops pursuing the movie exists. Like at some point, you you get tired of saying no, and a studio's like, not going to happen. Sure, and unfortunately, I'm, I don't think it's likely that this movie is going to happen. But I just like this quote is just really about his feelings for them, right? Uh, which I think is lovely and beautiful, and reaffirms his his basic aesthetic. What he says is he's not interested in superhero stories. He likes monster stories. Mm-hmm. He likes noir, um, which of course is why he made like a great superhero movie in the form of a monster movie it was called hellboy yeah like and it it you know i think that he would probably do a great job with those characters it seems like it is not for whatever behind the scenes reasons we don't understand like that that did not happen it was uh, in film terms it was a very long time ago yeah uh, that he worked on this uh but yeah it's a great quote because i do i love hearing creators love the work so much even when it doesn't come to fruition i love just hearing how invested they are and comics are are so mainstream now it's really cool to hear someone you whose art you admire liking the less mainstream comic because justice league dark is is not not everywhere. Well, and it really like that name goes back not that far. I like uh but the 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 area of the DC comics universe represented by these characters like Swamp Thing and Zatanna and Constantine and the Demon uh <laughs> and all my faves basically. They all come out of the like uh or they all have their most iconic versions spinning out of the late 80s early 90s sort of DC Vertigo mm-hmm. renaissance that happened. Uh and it so, th- so there's been, like, it all tracks is what I'm saying. <laughs> it's all good and tracks and the 80s were glorious for Vertigo and Vertigo lives on in Black Label-ish. Uh, Technically, and- Vertigo didn't get founded until the early 90s, but it was Vertigo already. You know it was. I know it was. We all know it was. And just like a lot of Black Label books are still Vertigo now. It's all Vertigo in our hearts. <laughs> I feel Soon like there- Vertigo will annex all of comics and storytelling <laughs> because I will just keep declaring things into Vertigo canon. Uh, and- Amy's at her store just stamping Vertigo in books. Yeah, you know. <laughs> I declare this a Vertigo. It's kind of Vertigo. (laughs) Shares several creators with a different book that was made by another company and canceled and folded into a third company. But really, that's essentially Vertigo. Amy, take down the Vertigo section you made. It's really weird that you made a whole section called Vertigo (laughs) and labeled them all. People are confused. Uh, Speaking of confusing choices, Kane was originally in Deadpool 1, but was one of the characters cut for budgetary constraints. Uh, I had heard many times that the character that uh, Gina Carano ended up playing was multiple characters they they cut down, and apparently one of them was Kane, or another character was cut in that vein because of it. Uh, And then recently Rob Liefeld had tweeted Mr. Dwayne The Rock Johnson to play Kane, Mm -hmm. and The Rock tweeted back, well, yeah. So um, this really cute exchange, which turned into headlines because... 
media's dead, uh, ha- is now a giant conversation. There's I- only so much shade we can throw when we also talk about this stuff because we also find but it But we delightful. say it with snark. Okay. Well, the, okay, people running it as this is going to happen is what's the, the scary thing. Sure. Like th- – Dwayne The Rock Johnson doesn't have the ability to say, like, that's great without people being like, that's going to happen. And that's what's scary. <laughs> Confirmed. That is great. Twitter is not a business agreement. And that's yeah. what, like, the media has become. Like, you can't tweet yes, please, and have, like, 100 lawyers be like, should we worry? Uh, so I love the exchange because I love the mutual respect between a uh, friend of the show, Rob Liefeld, and soon-to-be friend of the show. Because I'm going to make it happen. Dwayne The Rock Johnson. <laughs> and uh, I, I love the idea of him as Kane because that character is so 90s and only The Rock can say some of the 90s zingers he gets away with. So it could actually work, but it won't. Uh, but the idea of The Rock as Kane has made this this uh, Image Comics 9011 pouch pouch boy over here very happy. So here's the the part that really emerged. This was a really interesting article. Uh, it ran in comicbook.com, I think. Uh and uh, the part that really caught my attention is that they had to cut Kane for budgetary reasons, so they went looking around for another character to be sort of the third part of the Deadpool Colossus thing. Mm-hmm. And apparently that's how they landed on Negasonic Teenage <laughs> Warhead, without whom – like I can't imagine that film it without would not that have dynamic. The same. Yeah. I mean it, it's – it is sometimes these sort of happy accidents of art and filmmaking where it's like the things I like most about the movie are things that ended up embodied in that choice and that dynamic. Yeah. Uh, somebody like a a cranky teenager unimpressed by Deadpool <laughs> let them put so much greatness about Deadpool in where if, if he standing next to – Ernest Colossus and like an older, equally grizzled Kane, he'd be the hippest person in the room. Yeah. And it changes his dynamics so much. That's a good point. Deadpool as like quasi terrible mentor slash babysitter to cranky teen, negasonic teenage warhead, let him be not the coolest all the time, even though he is the coolest all the time because he's Deadpool. And it's, I don't know, it's just so funny to me that that could have been a late development choice in the movie they ended up making because, thank God, it went down that way. And without that, we wouldn't have gotten Ego as Kurt Russell in Guardians because that's what they traded. They traded Ego for Negasonic. So if they hadn't (laughs) needed... Negas- if they'd gotten Kane, they wouldn't have needed Negasonic, and then the rights to Ego wouldn't have left Fox and gotten to Marvel, and Guardians 2 couldn't have happened. So because of this, Ego the Living Planet also exists. So there's a lot of stuff. You and never that know arguably what chain is- of consequences is coming from your, oh, that guy looks expensive decision-making. <laughs> Which, or, out of context, sounds like the worst way to make a movie. We, we can't have that character because it's expensive. Go looking for a replacement does not sound like a creatively fulfilling thing. But art from adversity, art from limitation is, you know, often – cannot be underestimated as a force in storytelling. And that's why I always defend reshoots because a lot of times that's art from duress and that lends to some of the best stuff. There's a lot of times when you're fighting the clock and fighting the budget and you can find some crazy art because you took a chance. Like I love the bit where instead of the like fifth action set piece in Deadpool with all the guns, they didn't have the money for it so he accidentally left them in the taxi because that joke is so funny <laughs> and so Deadpool. And I like that joke more than another shootout. Like, we had shootouts. So sometimes that's how magic happens. Now, speaking of magic, the Arrowverse on television is some magic. Oh, yeah. And uh, they're saying now that some of the Arrowverse characters, even after the Arrow show, not the Arrowverse, but the show Arrow ends, could end up on other DCCW shows. I love that idea as an ex-actor because, man, I like my friends getting work. (laughs) Uh, I think (laughs) – I think it's a great opportunity. I think these characters deserve to keep existing, and I like when people make money. Uh, so I, uh, I you this... may have noticed that Corey and I have a heavy bias in favor of people doing things. <laughs> 
always do things. We're just basically into it. We're yeah. like, you're doing stuff? That's great. We're proud of you. <laughs> Please keep going. Making money, making art? Keep doing that. <laughs> I'm proud of you. Look at you over there, making money, making art. Good on you. So uh, full support of people making money, making art. Uh, and they basically came out in uh, Guggenheim and, and Berlanti and all those folks said there's always a chance um, that since this universe is so huge, we can bring these characters back. And that's that's always great. And, and it'll make fans happy because these characters don't need to end when Arrow ends, but also it'll make – the, the universe feel richer because it's not like one corner went away and it went black. It's They still exist in the universe. In many ways, it's just an affirmation of what we already know, but it's still an interesting thing to hear them sort of going out and positively stating that this is not the end for these because I you would imagine that if that door was very closed, they would want to start preparing people for that as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. If there was some complicated behind-the-scenes reason that that wasn't going to be possible, they would want to start capping those expectations as soon as possible. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, because we already have seen the way that they bleed into other shows, the way that, you know, when uh, Flash, like, what, season two when we had all the Earth 2 stuff, yeah. and we got a bunch of interesting appearances uh, in that. And, and I mean, Arrow as Flash in season five. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> uh, pretty notably. Uh, so... It, it this seems very like a yes good normal but also it full, it is full of exciting possibilities you want the other shows to be able to do their thing mm-hmm. with freedom but there's no reason they can't benefit from this roster of wonderful players essentially that has been developed out of the Arrowverse and it being a shared universe gives that very unique perspective it's not often like always sunny gets canceled and they're like but they could show up on this is us like it's not common <laughs> that'd be dope though uh, but like it's not common you get an opportunity for your show getting canceled and it's not the end of your the, character the gang has feelings the gang- <laughs> was that is that what that one would be called? Oh, give me that episode. <laughs> I want – even if it's set in the Always Sunny continuity and it's just a really heartbreaking episode with guest appearances by like Sterling K. Brown. <laughs> <laughs> just inexplicably – like Justin Hartley's there. Like, oh, yes. <laughs> also, the gang has feelings but Justin Hartley's playing Arrow. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, guys, you don't even know what my Elseworlds canon is in my head. It's dense. It's confusing. Speaking of dense and confusing. We will get Koi to share his fan fiction eventually. <laughs> <laughs> but in the meantime, dense and confusing, the complicated finale nice of Arrow, segue. right? Yes. Uh, the Arrow finale, as it stands now, is so complicated, it might not even happen. <laughs> uh, they have apparently had the Arrow finale mapped out for years. And now that it's come time to actually put it on screen, they're like, can we do this? And they all admit that... It's so dense it might not happen, but if that logistics don't work out, they will be posting the actual sides, the, the script, uh, on the day of the finale what the original intent was, which is a bold statement to make. My uh, my read on the quote was that the ver- the draft that – is it Guggenheim who gave this quote? I believe Mark Guggenheim. Yeah, Mark Guggenheim, Guggenheim yeah. Uh, is, my read on this quote was that he said it is a relatively recent draft. He was glad he had left himself open mm. uh, like he had you know, been thinking about the ending for years, obviously, but he wanted to be open to possibilities as they arise and got whatever idea this is that might not be logistically possible. Uh, and so I'm curious. Uh, so it, it sounds as if that element of it is more recent to the process. Which oh, is probably you're totally part right. Why... I, I misread. That's completely correct. Um, but I think it's it's a combination of, of the long-term planning and being open to spur-of-the-moment possibilities, which I think is probably why, if it doesn't happen, he's not worried about putting out that alternate plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, because probably the fundamentals, probably the basic story ideas have been in place. But whatever logistically difficult thing he's imagining, which I'm going to guess is like 14 alternate universe versions of every character mm-hmm. or 75 
forward-looking, like, what's the opposite of a flashback? Flash-forwards for these characters. You know, I'm imagining that it involves either way too many sets or way too many actors or the other things that literally complicate logistics. Or it's all animated for the last ten minutes and they're not going to give them the budget. Like, something that will be a... Like, that would be really cool, but not so essential to the ending that we would be disappointed in the moment of watching the finale knowing that it didn't happen. Does that make sense? Oh, 100%. And especially since it takes place – the two episodes that it ends on are after Crisis. So I don't imagine it ties directly into other shows. So it would need to be unique to itself but probably still have those logistics. So I completely agree. I think it's a multitude of actors, a multitude of schedules, a multitude of other things. It's a musical episode with John Barrowman. Let's do it. I mean, obviously, that's the answer. But I'm excited that we get an episode 9 and 10 to send off the show separate of Crisis and that it sounds like it might be as big as Crisis because of the logistical hurdles and madness. I just – I love that we've gotten to the point where a network like CW is willing to do like a 10-episode prestige final season (laughs) specific like – Eight, like seven episodes of Prelude, one giant crossover, and two episodes of wrapping up. It's so unconventional Comic-y. from the, the old school format. It's like inventing a shorter form for a big prestige story, like almost the opposite of inventing the maxi series for a yeah. big prestige story. Uh, but yeah, it's all very exciting. I love the ambition in all of this. That is the thing that shines through with so many of these shows. They really go for it. Uh, and I love that because, let's be honest, we've all watched a lot of comic book-based television, and it was... It's fun to watch ambition levels rise over time as people are capable of and realize they can get away with bigger swings in the comic book television world. And it's great. Speaking of ambitious, well-paced comic book (laughs) television, The Boys Season 2 has begun filming. And The Boys Season 1 is very ambitious and very well-paced, and I love that it's a tight eight episodes. I was one of the few defenders of uh, Netflix's 13. I thought most of the shows were good at 13. There were a few I would have shortened down to 10, like the internet thought, but I like the 13 pace. But 8 with The Boys is so spicy. It clips along. It's a lot. It's very intense, and I think it suits the show. So Season 2 filming right now makes me very happy. Uh, I am admittedly not done with The Boys. I'm at Episode 6, but I'm loving the pace. Because Pennyworth is so good. Uh, I'm going to plug Pennyworth so people start freaking tweeting me about it. Because I've gotten two tweets about it and both people were like, oh my god, I wouldn't have watched this without you recommending it. So more of you, giant size listeners, Pennyworth's so good. Uh, it's so good, it's made me not finish The Boys yet, which is saying something. So, because uh, there's only so many hours in the day. What a weird double feature. It's very jarring. I and love comics. There's been three days that's been my double feature for the afternoon. Like, I've watched them back to back and been like, what is my brain? I'm still, uh, Pennyworth I haven't been able to get to for time reasons. Boys, I'm kind of dragging my feet on. This is the evolving saga of whether <laughs> slash when I eventually watched this show, which I'm very proud exists and happy for a bunch of the people involved with. But, uh, you know, haven't quite made up my mind. That, that's, that's me in Game of Thrones. I totally get it. I, I watched season eight of Game of Thrones because it was an event, but seasons one I through seven, I was like, good. Wait, did I know this? You literally just watched season eight? I've watched episodes one, two, and three, The Red Wedding, the one where uh, angry Batman Begins Boy dies, and the season eight where he chokes and he goes all purple. Okay. Do you yeah. watch the show? I do. The Joffrey. That's oh, his name, Joffrey. Yeah, uh-huh. When Joffrey no, does. I know what you're talking oh, okay. about. So I've seen five what episodes in season eight. Highlight real ish. Because well, I only watched it at like big event viewing parties. So I watched okay, like, the okay, Red Wedding was okay. an event party. You were a social fan. Yeah. Uh, oh, and the one with the crazy fight in season seven. Oh, that really narrows it down. The one with Jon Snow with the sword and the all of them, the white. Not White Walk, maybe. Yeah, that was a great one. Season seven was that the not this season, the one before where yeah. there's like a whole episode that's just a fight. Also saw that one. Uh, so I've <laughs> See, seen. Here's the thing: you would love every character in that episode if you'd met them, like and like, logically. Yeah, well, it's. <laughs> 
They're all of a type that is very easy to love and I think that would hit with you specifically because they're a bunch of the sort of, uh, like, interesting ordinary dudes cast into extraordinary circumstances model. Like, they teamed a bunch of those kind of characters up with a bunch of great reasons to like and dislike each other. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I was always drawn to the snow stuff, like the, the dudes in the wall. Those, those are my boys out of the show. I got them. Uh, but... <laughs> This has become an accidental deconstruction of the weird pieces of Game of Thrones that Koi has seen. I once someone asked me about Game of Thrones and I forgot the name of the show when I was describing it. And I described it as, you know, that show where the girl flies the dragons to work. And to ever work. since I've thought of – because what's her name? Um, the dragons. That's mm-hmm. like, Daenerys. Yeah. So I, I like couldn't remember any details except for she was like going to do a task. And I was like, that's dope. She gets to fly dragons to work. <laughs> so I've thought of the show as it's the one – but it's really nice to have a fandom that I'm not invested in. It's so – it's a breath of fresh air to be like, look at how excited those people are and I'll never understand. So it's been really peaceful to be like, ah, oh, I can acknowledge how happy they are over here. So I feel like that's with you with the boys. You can see Amazon excited and you can see all these comic fans. But you can be like – if I don't watch it, that's fine. The girl rides a dragon to work. And I'm very happy for her. Uh, and then season eight was too big of an event to skip. So I had like – we had viewing parties at Jane Seymour's. So we had like this this crazy that's spectacle. Yo, Koi's life. So I couldn't miss that because she has a dope-ass theater. It's not like you don't go to that. I get it. I you get it. You don't not go. Uh, it is so funny. I like to imagine various versions of like if we had met at different points in school because I would have been attempting to force you to read the Game of Thrones novels <laughs> like years ago, uh, which was uh, hilariously – I love those memories because I met with very mixed success during my <laughs> heavy attempting to get everyone to read those books years. Yeah. Uh, and you know the show and the books are both a mixed bag as so many things are but boy there's a lot to love in them as well i'm a king killer i'm trying guy. not to do this entire podcast on this <laughs> unrelated stuff patrick Rothfuss don't you dare series. bring Very up good. more fantasy epics that might be making it to tv soon can and we film i mean, just saying there might be it might be the first fantasy that's on both if amazon doesn't hurry up with their lord of the rings that's what i hear but I mean, genre stuff getting adapted that isn't from comics always hurts my heart because it's not technically in our bailiwick. it's right there. Like, there's more She-Ra out there right now. King Killer's being made. Friggin' Lin-Manuel Miranda's involved. Uh, like, yes. It's, come on. Yes. Uh, but it is technically not in our purview uh, unless no one stops us. I would get back into acting to, to play Kof. Like, I would do that. And he's he's redhead, and I would just learn how to sing, which is totally easy. Uh, it's not. Jesus Christ. I'm so impressed with anyone that can sing. I'm always like, it's like witchcraft. When I see someone sing and they're good, I'm like, how is your throat doing what that is because I can't anyway fan art of Koi ask folks please <laughs> it's it's like speaking Latin but with rhythm you guys are awesome if you can sing that is what because it's like another language itself it's a learned language but okay. it's also got syncopation like there's so much to singing that I it my brain can't comprehend it like I don't understand how the you could learn people can learn people things people can learn th- I just it's intimidating okay. I'm rarely intimidated by a skill singing I'm so intimidated the, by the things you do at the gym like <laughs> seem you know seem like witchcraft oh that's my happy place okay it's the only time i don't have to distract myself by doing math like even while we do this podcast i think about like numerical like right now i know we have 17 minutes left and i think about the fact that seven plus one is eight eight divided by two is four four divided by two is two like i'm constantly you're like your own hickman comic all the time all the time but at the gym it's peace and it's quiet because you're doing math while you're lifting you're like only four more so it's i submit to you music might be the same it could be and that's why it's always haunted me that i didn't learn it because i feel like if i had it at is age, not too late it's not too late that's the theme of this show it's not too late Although uh, it will be too late if we never get to our other stories speaking of <laughs> it's not too late walmart yeah. is okay a- adapting their 
Oh, there we go. Speaking of It's Not Too Late, it is now the time for Walmart to go beyond their original comics to adapting film and TV, of which they already carry, because Walmart is expanding into the comic world with new properties, adapting television shows and such, which to me is like a real-life DC uh, app, because the DC Universe has the shows, and then you click another button, and there's the comics, and if you go to Walmart, which I don't recommend, you can buy the seasons of the show, and then go buy the comics, which are adapted from I them. do have a quick question, uh, because I, I looked into this, but I, I just saw, I saw the quote from Dan Didio saying that they're expanding the line mm-hmm. of the comics they've been putting in Walmart, uh, which I'm happy to say this, the original stories from those are making their way into comic book shops right now, which Batman is Batman Universe awesome. and Up in the Sky? And Wonder Woman, what's it called? Mm. That one's not out yet, right? It is out. Because <gasps> mm-hmm. Up in the Sky is some of my favorite, and Batman, Batman Universe is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, Batman Universe, Superman, Up in the Sky, and Wonder Woman something. Um, the one co-written by uh, Amanda Connor and Jimmy Palmiotti with art by Chad Harden. I will pick it up um, because I want to discover. I don't read I enough think. Wonder Woman, so I, that is my next journey after all these indies. I'm, I'm oh, in. you're in for a treat. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Wonder Woman-wise. Just I'm going to ask Amy because so, she's going to guide me in this journey. Dendidio, uh, who is one of the heads of DC Comics, had said that they are expanding the line of what's out there. They do these sort of giant-sized compendiums that are reprints of material with some original stories. Um, but my read on this quote was that uh, they're essentially – they're going to keep expanding that line. They're going to take it beyond just Walmart and look for some other outlets, sort of mass market places for people to run into comics, which is fantastic. Um, there is the the late lamented pick comics up in gas stations and supermarkets uh, paradigm, which has mostly gone away over time in part because comic books uh, – well, for a lot of reasons that I'm not going to derail this podcast <laughs> with. But uh, there are no rails. <laughs> I know. <laughs> no one's listening. That's why we're <laughs> we can't be stopped. Uh, I like the idea that no one's listening. Like this episode is just like just you and I talking that never gets heard. Yeah. Like I just go on these rants like into the void. <laughs> Did the void look back? Who knows? There's no rails. <laughs> it, it, it podcasts also. Uh, so they're expanding the line and they said essentially that there's going to be content that reflects whatever is sort of out there in the mass market. I don't know if they're strictly adapting storylines mm. or adapting like those the way that they have in the past done comics that specifically line up with like the Flash TV show right. or that. So I think that the idea is just going to be – you know, if Doom Patrol is having a show made, there will be something Doom Patrol-y available within that line, which I think is just very smart. <laughs> How it's taken this long? I don't understand. Uh, How this is news? It's like, hey, maybe people are aware of the show. Than it seems. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, there's probably good reasons these things happen. Uh, but yes, so it, it they're expanding that line, and you can look for things that sort of line up with. Uh, TV and movie properties out there. And I just think that all sounds smart, especially if, as we now know, we can expect the original material to make its way into, like, comic book stores and other broader availability uh, because we heard a lot of stories, just anecdotes from the early releases of the Walmart things with people having trouble finding them. Right. Um, and that's no fun. No. Uh, but we do want, we absolutely want people who are out there in the world who are aware of these characters but might not be reading comics yet to have something they can easily stumble across that will be welcoming, that will be fun. Uh, you know, we're about to have a Joker movie maybe go to the Oscars. Let's make sure there's some comics accidentally falling in the laps of a lot of people. It's so crazy how brand awareness is high and we don't have any properties out about it in very easily accessible places. Perhaps we should do that as a company. I don't know. What a concept. I mean, they try. 2019. There's, it's complicated, probably. <laughs> there's probably some law stuff. But I. this is exciting that they publicly came out and were like, hey, we're aware that comics are important. That's what I got out of this article, this story, is that they're, they're focusing on comics again and that's very important to me. Uh, and... 
It's uh, DC Comics. They've never not focused on comics. The, sorry, making comics accessible to the mainstream. Okay. They've okay. certainly focused on comics, but I don't think they – the comic book Reaction stores – Reaction retracted. Sorry. Comic book stores are very intimidating to people until they know they're not intimidating. Right. This allows them to pick up a comic and not a comic book store, get addicted, and then go to the well, comic book store. What we've hoped about the availability of digital and the uh, amazing efforts by libraries to step up sort of comic book uh, – acquisitions and this like it has to be a many pronged effort to make sure that this material can be out there and accessible to folks so please if you have checked out these giant size well okay those officially giant size not this podcast it's a coincidence (laughs) we promise uh those those big old walmart anthologies let us know what you thought of them if you Mm -hmm. found them easy to find if you have been able to hook other people on them i would love to hear that on that note all the people that are reading saga at the library uh we had a couple more today yes thank you our hearts with joy always more and i love hashtag sweaty in the library uh it's it's just on the line of being too dirty and i appreciate that it's very funny to me it's it's probably going to be really hard to explain to people who don't listen to this podcast. There's so but... many layers to the, how what that hashtag even means. Yeah. <laughs> which, uh, I, which I respect. And yet, it's just the best. And, and yet, it's the most polite. Like, sweating in the library means nothing perverse. Or <laughs> does it? Uh, speaking... I mean, you're reading Saga, so it does a little and, That's true. There's definitely some. There's some There's some in there. Uh, speaking of somewhat perverse, Greg Capullo. <laughs> I don't know you, Greg, but I hope that tangent worked for you. Uh, Greg Capullo <laughs> has extended his DC exclusivity. He is joining Scott Snyder on another secret project. Uh, we have the Scott Snyder, Greg Capullo, Batman, Last Night on Earth, which is uh, coming out as we speak. Issue 2 just came out last week. So that is their last Batman story, and many were worried that was their last team-up. But no, no. These guys work great together. There's more. Uh, I love them working together. I think Greg Capullo is amongst my favorite artists working hard stop. I His style reminds me of... Uh, early John Romita Jr. meets John Romita Sr.'s like clean line work. I really like his style. I like its photorealistic plus its punchy comicness. So him teaming up with Scott Snyder, who's such a psychological writer, makes me very happy. These two are great together. May they always be great together. In comics, you learn not to take this is the last blah, blah, blah very seriously. Um, although, you know, it's always possible that that is true. So who knows? The secret project, I'm saying it could involve Batman, but it would be fun to see them take on something totally left field. Who would you like to see them do? Mm. Snyder, Capullo. I would like to see them. Okay, this is just a, a way station. I want them out of the bat first entirely, not out of it, but like I want to see them take on a totally different corner. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the meantime, I'd like like a, a deep Clayface story. Ooh, I uh, think that would be really fun. I want either Elastic Man. Because I think Capullo's style and his energy and his stuff would be really great. And then Scott Snyder writing a character that's super comedic. Plastic Man? Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Yeah, Plastic Man. Elastic Man, his little-known cousin. They've um, all got stretchy names. It's a it's, thing. It's very true. Plastic Man with his comedy, with Snyder, with Snyder writing his psychological like aspects of it. I feel like his humor would be very different. I want to see what that flavor is. Okay. Or I want to see Capullo just his Wonder Woman must be gorgeous. I can't imagine. Mm. Like, the way he draws armor, the way he draws uh, violence. Like, I want to see Wonder Woman's brut- not brutality in the, in, the, in the Zack Snyder sense, but brutality and she's so commanding and strong. So I want to see them on, on one of those two. I'm on board. Speaking of commanding and strong, Jonathan Hickman. <laughs> he uh, has come under some fire of late uh, about plagiarism. Uh, and both There's been an accusation uh, that some of his works might be bordering on plagiarism and some responses both by the work in question and from Hickman to that. And it seems to have been resolved very diplomatically, uh, at least resolved in the in the public eye. Uh, the writer of the book has come out, and they both. I this I wanted to talk about this because it was handled so freaking beautifully. Uh, both 
parties have said like, hey, we like your work. Hey, we like your work. Oh, sometimes art is uh, it's very familiar because of archetypes. Maybe you should read this person's thing. And I really – it was handled like adults and I hate that that is an exception to the rule. Let's but like, walk through the basics. Claire North is the writer of the book and the book was called The Many Lives The First uh, 15 Lives of Harry August. Uh, was a novel that uh, – sorry, in question. I just happened to have the name up when you did that. No, no, um, thank you. Uh, so Claire North, a.k.a. Catherine Webb, uh, has uh, wrote a novel some years ago called The First 15 Lives of Harry August. Um, and uh, I want to say at this point, if you're not caught up with the X-Books, maybe skip this next bit. Um, but uh, – it has been uh, pointed out that the book apparently shares some similarities with some events happening in Hickman's X-Books. I'm going to keep it vague. Uh, and it has also been identified that Hickman is an on-record fan of that book. Uh, he recommended it in a 2016 interview for The Beat. Uh, Comics Beat is a great website, by the way. Uh, and so in response to that... Let's see. She said, for fear of kicking at a hornet's nest again, some few words hopefully last on House of X. Firstly, thank you everyone who's been chiming in with words supportive and thoughtful. It's all been hugely appreciated. People have rightly pointed out that ideas are rarely original. I've been fed on my culture, so has X-Men. Sometimes this is a glorious sharing of stories. Sometimes it can feel like standing on each other's toes. In this case, it depends where you're standing, I suspect. (laughs) People have rightly... Oh, no, that's the same. However, it's been kindly pointed out that the scribbler on House of X, which is cute, has been asked the same questions I'm asking, and while these things may never be clear, his reply has been generous and courteous. Uh, If you are loving the current run on House of X, please check out the first 15 lives of Harry August. And if you loved Harry August, you're probably going to dig House of X. And if you've never read either, give them both a go. Every reader finds something new to you alone. Uh, So his response uh, is that he has had the same feeling of wondering if his work is too close before. So he sympathizes with Ms. North's reaction. Uh, let me say I absolutely have read it. I think it's wonderful, but I completely disagree with an idea that narratives are similar. He lays out his reasons that he thinks that. Uh, he gets, sort of goes into why he thinks they're not the same, and then he ends with, I would, however, tell everyone to go read Harry August if you haven't. Uh, it's about a rivalry between two men that goes on for several lifetimes against a backdrop of a secret society of people who reincarnate. Everyone should read it. Um, which I thought was a nice thing right at the end. And we'll have to uh, do our reading and check through to see. Um, it might have been that Hickman sort of was like, this is, I'm going to kind of make a pop culture reference out of the phrasing here. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe it just seemed too close. Well, we'll this is a eye of the beholder thing, maybe. But I agree with you that those were sort of good, cool, mature. I responses. just, I, it's rare that when people feel slighted, they handle it well. It's rare that when people feel like uh, this is a thing. Oh no! And then they go like, actually, enjoy each other's work. So I really liked uh, Twitter being civil because it should be mentioned as Although it isn't if often. The, like, it would have been cool to put some sort of like overt allusion, like or pop culture reference, if he's going to use a very similar titling in that, like, it would have been neat to see that in the text, which is so full of Easter eggs and things anyway. I mean, I guess I can't rule out that that's in there somewhere. Mm. Um, but, you know, people borrow sort of phrases and ideas from stuff and often tip their hat to them in the text, uh, right. and that would not be a terrible way to go. Anyway. Anyway, <laughs> uh, that happened this week. I do not think either party is at fault. I just liked how it was handled. And, uh, Speaking of handling things well, buy some comics. Uh, this week's pull list includes Power of Ten, number two. Powers of Ten, yeah. 
which is hard to remember. But Powers of X slash Powers of Ten, number two. Uh, White Trees, number one. Event Leviathan, number three. Sparrowhawk Trade Paperback. And Invisible Woman, number one. Second printing, Invisible Woman, number two, is also out, worth noting. So you can pick up both of those two. Uh, I'm a big fan of that book. Uh, out of these, or just about these, um, have you read the Invisible Woman book yet? I have not. I was it's happy to so see it on your list. Good. I'm so glad. Like she teams up with Black Widow and shows Black Widow that she's actually a boss, and it's really cool because I've, I I'm a big Fantastic Four fan, and I've always really liked Sue Storm, and I've always hated that the movies have been like, trust us, she's smart, and then they're like, we'll show how smart she is by her doing this thing over there, and it's not the character. Like Sue Storm is is. Reed Richards wouldn't date someone that wasn't brilliant because he'd be so bored. Like, you don't date below your stature, like in life. Why would a comic book character? Well, that's weirdly put, but... uh, (laughs) I I mean, I I, I think a genius would get bored at someone not smart. Okay. Uh, Just to date below your stature is just a strange phrasing. But I do think that people... Uh, like fall in love for reasons that they find things to respect and admire in each other and that absolutely Susan Storm is an incredible badass uh, and so I love that she has her own book right now. And she uh-huh. takes on like she does a spy mission with Black Widow and Black Widow keeps being like wait you know this spy stuff so it's really cool to see her in an see, action. I'm curious I, I can't wait to dive into it because I don't think Black Widow would underestimate her. I think Black mm. Widow's smarter than that um, and that they've also known each other for a really long time but oh, maybe it's cool and dramatically uh, exposes that. I'm excited. <laughs> uh I I put on here a couple of really off-the-beaten-track choices this week. Um, I thought you might enjoy, Koi. Uh, I have no idea what this book is going to be. It is only two parts, but it opens the door clearly for more. Uh, some kind of fantasy epicness is happening from Image Comics called White Trees. It's going to be in two parts. Number one of two is out this week. It is by Chip Zdarsky. Oh, my boy. With art by Chris Anka. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right? No, I, need, I need this in my life. Good Put call. Put it on your list. Yeah, that sounds bomb. Uh, so the spectacular oversized two-issue miniseries. I don't know if that means extra pages or if it's physically big. We'll find out. Um, <laughs> in the fantastical world of Black Sand, peace was hard won, and three unbending warriors carry the scars to prove it. Now, almost 20 years later, their children are missing. And war is on the horizon. Can they put aside their memories of the war and each other for one last adventure? It's called The White Trees, A Black Sand Tale. What I'm hoping that means is that uh, with a subtitle like A Black Sand Tale, I'm hoping that these two are the first part. And next year we get blah, 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 A Black Sand Tale. Um, That's assuming that this is as awesome as it sounds. But we know it will be cool because Zdarsky's writing it. And we know it will be gorgeous because Chris Anka can draw his face off. I literally just added it to my list as we spoke. (laughs) It is in my phone. It is being read by me. Uh, And then quickly, uh, Vent Leviathan, we've talked about it a lot. But I'm loving the continued mystery. This is apparently out of giant reveal. It is, of course, Bendis' and Alex Malave's giant mystery thriller. Uh, We talked about Powers of Ten. Number two, uh, briefly earlier. Or powers of X. Yeah, yeah, it yeah, might yeah, be wrong, but way. we might say it anyway. Hawkspox. Uh And then Sparrowhawk we talked about briefly on Heroes. So I think that covers... I did. I believe I pulled uh, issue one of this when it first came out. Uh, but now that the miniseries has concluded, it is being released in collected edition form. So you can go get that historical fantasy fiction awesome tale of a uh, the intersection between historical fiction and the world of fairy and some brutality because apparently once you land in the world of the fairies uh, it is not easy to get back out mm-hmm. um, and so yeah I'm very excited about this one it's called Sparrowhawk Delilah Dawson Matias Basla and the cover by uh, Miguel Mercado and then in the world of real life, uh, a, a tragic bit of news, but very important to talk about when we discuss comics, uh, the great Ernie Colon has passed away. Colon, yeah. Is it Colon? I think you. so. 
There's an accent over the second O. I, you know, I typed it. I have not what makes sense. Sometimes uh, there's a cut paste issue. It's okay. Ernie, <laughs> Ernie Colon has passed away at the age of 88. He was a legendary artist and editor uh, in comics, which was cool because I, I think it was Kurt Busiek on Twitter who was saying he gave me my first job. Yeah. So it's like, man, your impact reaches so far beyond yourself when you're part of something like this. Uh, but also – he drew many wonderful books over the years. And his style is so impactful for so many artists that, that – I mean we all love. But his style is so iconic and really influenced. Like I see George Perez in there. I, I see I see even Ringo in there. Like there's a lot of artists that I, I'm a big fan of that he clearly influenced. And I love how clean his lines are and um, yeah, a big impact in the comic community. He co-created Damage Control with Dwayne McDuffie over at Marvel and co-created Amethyst Princess of Gemworld uh, over at DC, which has a lot of reason to be loved but – in part, uh, was the editorial baby a first solo project, I think, for editor Karen Berger, who would go on to found Vertigo, and I have now successfully annexed even Boom. more things Vertigo. into why Vertigo is at the center <laughs> of the whole world. I am like the question, and I have a conspiracy board, and all of the strings point to Vertigo. Uh, but in seriousness, he was a, a, apparently a much-loved figure by the people who worked with him, uh, and uh, he was an editor on Harvey Comics er, – sorry, he was an, a – Started out working for Harvey Comics. He was an editor on Warren at Warren, the magazine publishers who did Creepy and Eerie and Vampirella in the 70s, which is a huge area of comics history um, that we don't have time to get into but is super significant. Uh, and uh, am I confusing editing with – he worked at Warren for sure. He may have been drawing them and not editing them. I've got my facts a bit jumbled. But uh, Ernie Cologne, huge figure in comics, will be very much missed. Look him up, read read what he did, and realize how much he impacted the world. If you're listening to this podcast, probably affected. Uh, speaking of a giant, giant impact in the world, eight, eight, not seven. Two weeks ago, it was seven. Eight billion dollars <laughs> Marvel has made. Eight. The number eight. Billion dollars. Just Marvel. It's August. That's a billion dollars a month. It's not how it went down, but holy crap, that's a lot of money. Uh I just can't. I just can't. That's so much money, and I had to. I had to give it its little footnote. It's for uh, so that's where is this? This number is for Disney or Marvel? Just Marvel. That's Endgame, Spider Man, and Captain Marvel. That's three movies. That's eight billion dollars. Truly astounding. Bizarre. I don't think I'm forgetting a movie. It's just three movies, right? Has there been another Marvel movie this year? Did I miss one? Uh. So the the company for sure has reached eight billion dollars. Well, Disney Studios, in between their Avengers Endgame, Lion King, Captain Marvel, Spider Man, or Aladdin, and Toy Story Four, uh, all being released this year. Uh, but they were at seven with just Marvel recently. Did I misread this whole thing? Internet, I may have lied to you. It all the money is the key point. <laughs> Guys, all the money all the in money. the world. I just uh, want you to know. It was this is another comicbookmovie.com article, and in this case, uh, they were running down the the top six movies at the global box office, uh, five of which Disney's responsible for, and the sixth one is Spider Man. Uh, so uh, it's only technically not Disney. Ah, uh, yes, of course. Uh, and then the final bit of news for this week, I wanted to, I just wanted to point this out. Uh, I wanted to end on a light note. Gwyneth Paltrow may not be from this planet. She uh, recently was discussing how she didn't realize that Mr. Samuel Jackson was in the Marvel Universe. That, I think, also came from Kevin Feige's Empire interview where I, he said uh, – the, he uh, let us know that, like, they shot that big 10 years of Marvel photo while they were doing the big group scene in Avengers Endgame and that some very interesting things happened with everybody there on set. And it seems as if he almost casually mentioned that Gwyneth Paltrow was like, oh, why is Sam Jackson here? And it's just like, oh, OK. That's, uh, you know, you're a busy lady. <laughs> 
you run some weird pseudoscience stuff that I try not to think about, uh, but it sure it takes up a lot of your free time. <laughs> Sebastian Stan has said so many times he's been like, and then I re-met Gwyneth Paltrow, and then I introduced myself to Gwyneth Paltrow again, and now Samuel Jackson, why are you here? And I just... It seems nice. I love her work so much. It seems much. nice to live that way. And, it seems very uh, yeah. freeing. It seems lovely and good on her. <laughs> and she's got a really fun film festival in her future if she ever decides to sit down and uh, watch the MCU. I'm very jealous that she gets to be in these movies and never know about them. Like, she gets to experience them anew while being part of them. Like, it's like I get to live this superhero life and then watch it separately. Because <laughs> it's like when I watched Wonder Woman, I didn't know the side characters and if they were like her howling commandos. So it was this beautiful, blissful, oh, what's going to happen? She gets to be in them and have that. <laughs> Seems rad. Uh, but I just – I wanted to I wanted to mention that. That was one of my favorite parts of that interview. Uh, it has been a crazy week and we will be back next week with all more giant size goodness. Uh, you guys have been amazing on Twitter as ever. Send in your questions. Yes, hashtag, hashtag Collider Heroes. And we want them. We need them. And always send us your readings. I love seeing Saga. I love seeing your library finds. Uh, and I want to know uh, the Walmart stuff. Let us know where, where you're getting your comics because yeah. that's a fun little crowdsource experiment. Where do you get your books? Uh, but in the meantime, until next week, stay, stay sweaty. sweaty. Does anybody want breakfast? Guys, let's go. I'm leaving for McDonald's in five seconds. Why do you start with that? The Breakfast Stampede Meal. It's only at McDonald's, where there's a meal for every morning. And nothing says morning like a classic sausage McMuffin with egg. Right now, get this all-time favorite for just two bucks on the one two three dollars menu. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Why do millions of Americans choose to sleep on Bolin Branch sheets? Is it the 100% organic cotton? Is it that they get softer and softer over time? Customers can't stop raving about these sheets, and there's no better time to try them for yourself or give them to someone you love. Right now, Bolin Branch is offering their best deals of the year, and you can get their incredibly soft sheets at incredibly low prices. Just go to bowlandbranch.com to shop their best deals today. That's B-O-L-L and branch.com today. See site for details.